The information contained on this platform represents the opinion of the host and shall not be understood, construed as or a substitute for medical or health advice. Please see a health professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. It's the Black Health 365 podcast, and we are here to make sure you look good on the outside and even better on the inside. After all, looking good, feeling good, and living a healthy lifestyle 365 days of the year should be a daily choice. Here at the Black Health 365 podcast, we will address the healthcare disparities within the Black community with trusted voices and information to empower a healthy lifestyle. Ain't that right, Britt? I'm talking about mind, body, and soul. Well, hello, 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 365ers. Welcome to another edition episode. This is episode six, Britt? Episode six. The Black Health 365 podcast. Um, as always, thank you for joining. Thank you for coming in and helping us and being a part of this conversation to really take back our community. We got to do it. And we're doing it with the Black Health 365 podcast. I am, um, I'm going to get it together today, Britt. I am Jackie Page, radio personality, certified personal trainer, nutrition coach, Zumba instructor, TRX instructor, and group fitness instructor. I finally got it together. Oh, look at all those titles. Okay. Finally. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And my name is Britt Daniels, fit life coach, yogi at heart, personal trainer, serial entrepreneur. Uh, I try to keep up with you, Jackie. I did my best. Um, it's such a great time to be here once again, Black Health 365. Hope y'all doing well. We got a really cool conversation coming up after a very um, powerful conversation from yeah. last week. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you shared your story um, as far as like how you got into fitness as well as substance abuse, which um, is something I had seen on social media. And I said this last week, you know, I kind of seen you talk about it a little bit on social media. And I don't want to say was afraid to kind of ask you about it, but honestly was kind of afraid to ask you about it. And then we kind of started doing this podcast and talking about, you know, opening up and being real about our, our life stories and the things that we've dealt with and the things that we've, you know, struggled with and overcame or yeah, overcame. And I'm like, you know what, I think this may be the time. And I'm happy that um, we were able to have that conversation because it was very enlightening for me, um, you know, as a friend, as a, as a, as a colleague, um, but then also, you know, for our 365ers who may be or may know, may know somebody who's going through uh, substance abuse. So thank you, Brett, for being open and transparent. Absolutely. There was definitely a lot of vulnerability in that conversation, um, even after just listening to my voice as I was talking. Um, emotions came up that I didn't even, you know, I haven't felt in a long time. And so I, I, I hope that conversation spoke out to somebody. Um, if they are dealing with substance abuse or if they know someone that's dealing with it, it's important that, you know, that someone can speak from a place of transparency about these real issues. And that's what we're doing here. Black 365ers where we're trying to speak truth to truth to life, you know? Um, so Question yeah. for you, how do you being open and transparent, being as, as open as, and as transparent as you were uh, last week, how do you feel this week? Like, how does that feel like having that moment of just like being open and telling your story on the back end? How are you feeling today? You know, I'm a yoga again. I'm a yoga instructor, Jackie. And, you know, sometimes when I teach my yoga classes and I go through what we call Dharma talks, which you're going to have coming up soon, uh, we have these little sermons and little speaks. Uh, whenever I personally at this point in my life through healing, when I get to talk about my journey, 
it feels what's the word cathartic like it feels like such a release because uh, sometimes we store so much tension on the inside and so it feels like a great release when i get to speak on my journey and and, and, and talk about where i've been and how, where i'm at now it's a lot of gratitude that goes into that a lot of gratitude um, and that's actually the topic of today's Dharma talk. Again, 365ers, we do these Dharma talks, which comes from an Eastern tradition. It's essentially a small sermon, something just to set the tone and affirmation to start the conversation. And today's Dharma talk is very simple. It's about gratitude. If you're struggling in life right now, if you're having a hard time seeing the bigger picture, it's one simple word that's going to help you do that. It's gratitude. Uh, but be grateful for the fact you got 10 toes that you can breathe. Um, I was sick two times times in the last 30 days. And I'm telling you, when you lose your breath, you're going <laughs> you're gonna learn to appreciate it. And so it's, it's, it's important that we recognize the big wins. A win is a win. <laughs> and so take every single win that you can. Be grateful for everything that's in your moment in your life right now, because you never know where it can be taken from you. Rest in peace uh, to, to take off. Uh, so, yeah, show some gratitude. So show some gratitude if you can. Yeah. A great Dahmer talk. Uh I think we all could use that, all needed that today. So 365ers, um, be grateful for what you have, the small, the big, and everything in between. Um, we wanted to extend um, and continue last week's conversation about substance abuse because um, it was really powerful. It was really impactful. And I think there were, and, and Britt, I think you can agree with this. There were some questions that I had that, you know, speaking from your journey that you weren't really able to answer. So we wanted to bring um, somebody to um, the table today to really give a uh, a counselor's perspective on substance abuse. Um, he has a journey. He is currently a counselor. He's helping people now. Um, so I will go ahead and introduce him. The one, the only John Good, uh, certified peer recovery specialist, community liaison for hype counseling services, community outreach leader, specialist in harm reduction, co-founder of Clean Dreams, leading a life of long recovery, 18 plus years. John, how are you doing today? Man, that's a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed to be here. I'm blessed to be here. Yeah, and we're happy to have you. Um, like I said, you know, we're extending this conversation about substance abuse. Uh, Britt was able to tell his story last week. It was really impactful. Um, I had a lot of questions afterwards, and I'm thinking, you know, hey, if I have a lot of questions, I'm sure there are a lot of our 365ers who have questions. And even Britt, I'm sure, you know, kind of going through it, may have some questions as well that he, um, you know, coming out of it, want to ask as well. So we wanted to, you know, get you here to talk about substance abuse, you know, what you do as a counselor, as well as, you know, your own story. So let's start with that. Um, John, tell us your, your story. I'm I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Been here all of my life, um, and I have um, I'm a recovering addict, long-term recovery with 18 plus years. The journey wasn't always easy for me, and it's not easy. Um, I grew up in it. I was born in Creighton Court, and my addiction, my struggle was not pretty. And when I do things like this, it's kind of hard for me to paint an ugly picture using pretty words because it was not pretty. Um, I was brought up in the streets. I'm a street dude to the core. Um, I'm learning how I operated off of a lot of survival skills. And through addiction, that's what we operate off of, survival skills. We're not, we don't know how to be social. We don't have coping skills. We have survival skills. And that in our community, 
is what's plaguing our community. Not just the substance abuse, that goes hand in hand. And substance abuse in our community now has become the norm. And it's starting off early and early and it's very progressive. So in my early days of being um, an active addiction, it wasn't, it was, it was fun in the beginning. You know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a product of hip hop. Um, and I'm a product of New Jack City. Uh, I'm a product of Scarface, the movie. You know, I'm, I'm a product of Paid in Full. So I wanted to be all of those things, Superfly before that, um, the Mac before that. You know, um, I'm gonna get you sucker. So I'm a product of all of that stuff. And those are the things that in our community that led us to the substance use. Um, and in, in the professional world now that I work in over here, they said substance use disorder, right? But for us, by the time you land in where I work at, I'm a, I'm a peer recovery specialist. Uh, uh, I am a group facilitator, you know, um, all of that. Um, and I let the brothers know that when they come on this side, by the time you land on, and where I work at over here in hype counseling services, right, it's past the use disorder stage. So that's another form of using a pretty word to paint an ugly picture. Because by the time you get here, you know, it's no longer a disorder. It's straight dependent and abuse. It's past the disorder stage. You know what I mean? Um, I understand that, you know, that that's how the, those are the terms that they use um, professionally, right, as they do their data. But, you know, in our community, you know, it's, it's, no, it's not even a, what do you call it, a epidemic in the community. This is, this is the norm. It's only become an epidemic now since it has reached suburbia. But this has been plaguing our community since the 60s. You know what I mean? So now it's a state, we, we've been in a state of emergency. Um, and when I, my addiction was, was it was so deep rooted. The only thing I could see was right before me. You know, I was the master of my own self-deception for so long. And it's five things that I tell the folks that I work with um, in this field is that it's five things, whatever my goals are, it's five things that would impede me from reaching my goal. And you can take it to the bank. It's called high-risk thinking, irrational beliefs and thoughts that always lead me to self-sabotage. And then it's wishful thinking and procrastination. Those are the five things that addicts have in common, no matter where you are. Um, and that was me for so long. Um, I've been in treatment, residential treatment, nine times, right? Um, I wound up working in the place I was in five times, eight years. The same place I got put in, I came in on the DOC bus because they didn't approve my home plan. So they, they, they sent me to this residential treatment center that saved countless lives. Um, I wound up working there by eight years. And I only successfully completed residential treatment one time out of the nine times I've been. So what, I'm, what I strongly suggest to people, what my, my message to people, this is not about perfection. It's about making progress in my life. You know what I mean? So as I make progress, I make gain. Because for us, society says a lot. You know, they say that we, you know, I tell folks all the time is that um, we are, quote unquote, 
the chosen ones. Because many, most can't walk in the shoes that we walk in to see the things that we've seen, to survive the things that we've survived, right? The only thing we need is guidance because many can't and many won't make it through this horror. horror. It's sort of like a Holocaust addiction. It's sort of like a Holocaust. It's a disaster, you know? And um, my goal and my vision is to make our children have clean dreams. And that's that's about it in a nutshell for me. John, that was a lot of powerful statements. That was a lot of powerful statements. Um, wow, how to paint? What? Did he, how did you say a ugly picture using pretty words? You know, I'm not sure if you heard. Our, you haven't heard our last podcast, but I was speaking on my own substance abuse journey, and I that's basically what I was trying to say in my conversation. It's it's whole difficult to describe that experience. Looking back on it, wow, that's that's wow. Yeah, <laughs> powerful powerful words, gems, 365ers, things that we all are taking away right now. John, how did your addiction start? How did the abuse start? Right. Because you say you're, you're, you're a generation from New Jack City, you know. <laughs> hey, cool. Yeah, man. You, you didn't know, start off as just having fun with the homies or, you know, did you did you feel like there was a mental health component? Because back then we didn't talk about mental health the same way we talk about mental health now. Well, you know, on, on a scale... I got a whole, I can't, I'm, I'm animated, so I can't, I can't, I got to hold my head like this, right? And I can't move too much, but I use two hands. On the scale, it's substance abuse and it's mental health. They go hand in hand. Years ago, they didn't understand that. Anytime a person that continues to do the same thing over and over again like that, there's something wrong. And then you get the diagnosis, right? Many of us that suffer from substance abuse, we don't have a diagnosis, right? It doesn't mean that it's severe. Doesn't mean it's permanent. It means that it's something is something is obviously wrong. And if I continue to slam my head into the wall, because like that goes back to the high risk thinking. And the younger and the more I abuse substances, the more uh, that those things come into play with my mental health. Because now you know I have to do things that I don't. I go against all of my morals and principles. In particular, a lot of times with females, you know, females have to do. They go, oh my God, the things that they have to do on the regular. You know what I mean? Um, so when it started for me, you know, it, it started off like having fun. It was the it was the only way to achieve money in the community. Because you, as you know, and it's I'm I'm, I'm in my fifties, so you know, back in the day, you know, it was like. You had to get a high school diploma to get a good job. And then it went from being a high school diploma to going to college. Then from going to college, you know, graduating from college. Then from going to college, graduating from college, getting a master's and, you know, and all that and all that, so forth and so on. So in our community, we are trapped, a lot of us, you know, and it starts with, you know, we like engaging things. We like shiny things. We like objects. And when you're poor, you know what I mean? Um, we like to have the best of the best. And that those folks that we were attracted to, that I was attracted to, was the pool halls, you know, when I was coming up. Um, we had community centers, but we were more attracted to the pool hall. We wanted to see the guy in, in the bright red Cadillac, you know, who appeared to be doing nothing. You know what I mean? You know, he just had the fly clothes on, the slick talk, you know, the cat daddy style, 
you know, all that. We was attracted. That was attraction. The man that worked, such as my father, that wasn't attractive because I saw how hard he worked to get peas, you know what I mean? And, you know, so those things were attractive. And so that was, I was, that was my attraction. And then I wanted acceptance, you know, because what a person lives with, they learn. What they learn, they practice. What they practice, they become. And what they become has consequences. So what in our community, you know, what we live with, we learn. Doesn't necessarily mean always in your household, but in your community. If your mom, your dad working two, three jobs, man, you left to the devices out there. And it starts right there. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to escape the reality that I'm poor. Everybody wants to be accepted. I, I, I don't want to realize, you know, like we're poor. Yes, but I don't want to, the appearance of being poor. So and, and this is where things get get tricky for the youngins now, you know, the, the youth. What is happening, the blind is leading the blind. So everybody think that what they wear makes them. That's one, that's the first thought. Now everybody, you know, when I was coming up, people wanted to, they wanted to hustle to, them, to improve their conditions. Now everybody hustles because it's a fad, it's a way of life. They don't even know why they're hustling. You know what I mean? And, and addiction, we talk about it's progressive. The things that we were doing at 20, now that they're doing at 15, the things that they're doing at 15, now that they're doing the, at 11. So it has progressed. Um, I was attracted to that. You know what I mean? I, I was brought up in Islam. So, you know, I eat bean soup and bean pies and beans, drunk bean soda, and, you know, which was cool. It gave me discipline, but that wasn't a lifestyle that, you know, that everybody practiced in my community. So I wanted the acceptance of everybody else. And once I did some dope, I, I stole some dope from my brother. I thought it was cocaine, young and dumb, and they gave me the credibility. So I put it on the table and I split it up in five lines for my homeboys to, 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 to sniff. We were in a study hall class. And once we sniffed it, it was about seven, eight of us. It gave me this feeling of, you know, I, I, I was like, whoa. And I didn't look back. I didn't look back. It took me outside of myself. And I didn't look back. You know what a booster shot can be like? Charging a cell phone. Just like a cell phone charger helps restore your battery, a booster is given after a primary series vaccination to enhance or restore protection against COVID-19, which wanes over time. Boosters are recommended for people five years and older. Schedule a booster appointment as soon as eligible. You can even make the appointment on your phone, as long as it's charged. Sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. So at what point in time, and I asked Britt the same question last week, at what point in time did you actually acknowledge that you were abusing substances? Or did you ever have that aha moment? Man, it, it, it took one day when I knew I was past the mark I was a fly dude, you know, um, I had the gift of gab. I could play basketball. Um, I was selling drugs, you know, secretively because my mother was, she put more fear in me. I was, my mother, I fear my mother more than I fear Mike Tyson at his height of his career. I'd rather fight Mike Tyson than fight my mother. 
And, you know, um, it was at a point when when the girl stopped winking, you know what I mean? The money was gone. And now I'm no longer secretively shooting dope. I'm walking around with the, with, with the syringe. We call them works, you know, and now it's to the point that, you know, um, I'm wearing the summer clothes on in the winter and winter clothes on in the summer, you know. So at that point, I knew I was an addict. Yes. But it was progressive because I always managed to, you know, I wanted see one thing about an addict. We always want to maintain a small measure of control. For so long, I tried to get back what I had in the 80s, meaning that I was trying to chase that same image that I had when I was getting money, which only was probably like a year. I spent the next 20 years chasing that. So I was still stuck in the 80s back in 2004 when I came home, you know what I mean? I'm still listening to a, um, Run DMC and everybody listening to T.I., you know what I mean? So, you know, I'm, I'm caught up in the times, and then that's when I realized that it had to be something different and I wanted something different. What did that first step look like towards treatment for you? Well, like I said, I've been in treatment nine times, but every time I went, I went, I learned something different. Right. You know what I mean? And, um, and, and the first step was out of utter desperation. Um, first time I went, they didn't approve my home plan. So they sent me there, I believe. And the second time I went, my girlfriend was was threatening to put me out. She was threatening to put me out. And I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to detox. So I went for about 90 days and I got high in the program. Can you explain yes. that? Hey, you know, I told you an addict always want to maintain a small measure of control. But if detox is supposed, if you're going to the program to detox, how are you how are you able to get high in the middle of a program that's supposed to keep you from doing how? it? Man, listen. <laughs> and I mean, I, cause, and, I, and I'm asking this question because, again, you know, we talk about and this is one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you on is this open and honest transparency of. You know, this is this is real life. This is what happens. Like, you know, you're going to go to you may go to treatment and that treatment may not work. And you may still find yourself in that in that cycle in the middle of treatment for somebody who has never experienced substance abuse. For me, it's like, really, you you can go to treatment and still, you know, deal with the substance abuse. While you're yeah, yeah. People leave. You get high in prison. I got high in prison. I did. But you're the master of your own self-decision, whether you want to maintain a small measure of control. An addict always wants to appear to think that he has control of his addiction. So when I go to detox and I'm cool, you know what I mean? Then I go, I get into the program, I'm cool. But the cravings, see, I don't know how to deal with the cravings and the thought of the continued use. So I have to replace something with something. See, we have, that's what I said, the five things that will impede you from reaching your goal. It's five things will impede me from getting 30 consecutive days. The first one is high risk thinking. For you, for you, young lady, um, everybody has risk thinking, right? But for us, we have high risk thinking. We need to take major risks 
we're the masters about, we're thinking about how to successfully use. And then with the high risk thinking, then we start believing the irrational beliefs, which is not logical. We conjure up these ideas of how to get one more, how to manipulate. And only pre people that we are manipulating ourselves, right? And so then from that high risk belief, I'm going to continue to self-sabotage just like that. And then the wishful thinking comes into play, which is not a reality. And then the other part to it is that, is that um, without action. And then we procrastinate. Well, you know, I'm, I'm interested, you know, it's such a long journey for you. And, you know, it, was, it sounds like several relapses. And I understand that. Most um, of them can continue use. That's, that's the myth. More than relapse. It was just continued use. Mm, that's a yeah. myth. It was just continued use. Got when you, you. When you relapse after you've done something. You build a bridge mm. and it falls down. It relapses. It falls down, right? Collapse and relapses, mm -hmm. right? When you catch a cold. You know what I mean? And you do all everything that the doctor says you do to do. And then you go back out and venture you out and then you you relapse from the cold. Because mm -hmm. it's something that you didn't do, but when it's a continued use. It's the continued use. And absence that mean because I'm absent that I relapse. Because I'm just floating on that. Mm. Got you. You know. What I mean? you know Throughout this long journey, were there parts of your treatment that you can look back on? Maybe a certain counselor, maybe a certain conversation with someone you maybe had in prison. Like, were, were there this big trigger points where something shifted in your head? Like, oh, I got to get my mess together. And for you as a black man, I want I'm interested because you know, it was certain conversations I had with OGs who were like, "Hey, bro, you just messing up." Like, it was it was no, "Oh, sweetheart, you need to," you know, it's, you, everything will be okay. It was like, "No, dog, you messing up." Like, get your mess together, period. You know what I'm saying? Like, what were some of those big aha, euphoria, like, just big moments that woke, woke you up? It was a series. None one in particular. It was a series of events over the years. And every time I went to treatment, this was one guy, man, I'm forever grateful for him. His name was... Man. And through the lived, his lived experience... Right through his lived experience. That's why it's so important for brothers like ourselves to work in this field and do what we do. Because when a person comes through the education, they think there's no understanding. You're just coming through the psychoeducation part, the theory, you know, the study right. of, as evidenced by, as, you know, that, those are the terms, right? But when you have that lived experience, one of the best reasons why I'm here, because I can see it, is a call a trained eye. And he saw me coming. And he knew, like brothers I work with, I can basically, and it's you know, um, it's a gift. I can tell who's gonna who's gonna make that one more try, right? And I have to let him, right? But this guy, man, oh man, he rode me so I thought he didn't like me. My father, I thought he didn't like me. He called me on everything that I did. He pulled me up, but he just didn't beat me down. He encouraged me as well. So it was points like that. It's a number of brothers. You know, Mr. Neely, man. He said the work that we do 
it's a mission, it's a ministry, right? And he used to be like, hey, goo, when I come back off the man, I come back and I had a dope in my shoe or something like that. And I go all these extra, all these extra efforts to hide it, take it and put it in your drawers and all that type of stuff, you know, all this type of mail, everything, you know, get somebody to throw it over the fence, you know, all that, right? Here's the thing, though. This is what I learned. One of the things that we do for addicts, it's called selective effort. We put selective, selective effort into reaching goals. We only do it when it's convenient and what's easy for us. But I had a lot of learning, learn experience, and I finally knew that it wasn't, it was me. It wasn't treatment. And here's the other thing I tell people: just because you fall, you fall short in treatment, it doesn't, it does not mean that treatment doesn't work. No, that's a myth as well. Some people say treatment don't work. No, that's no, it does work. I'm not working it. Baseball, basketball, soccer, tennis. No matter what your game is, defense matters. Same thing goes for COVID-19. Help protect yourself with a booster shot. Now recommended for people five years and older. Schedule an appointment as soon as you are eligible following completion of your primary series. Sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. What do you got to say to a brother or sister who says, hey, I don't want to get mental health, you know, I don't want to get mental health, professional help, anything. It's such a big stigma in the black community about, you know, seeking help. What would you say to a brother like that? Or well, you know, I, I, you know, as a part of my uh, a certified peer recovery specialist, CPRS, right, is that I'm here to support you in your recovery and actually, what does it look like? So I actually do the pros and cons. So I said, let's do the pros and cons. So if it doesn't help you, it won't hurt you to go talk to somebody, correct? It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Now tell me how will it hurt you going to talk to somebody and listen to another advice? You know what I mean? So sometimes, a lot of times, you can't go into deep dialogue with people. You can't trick them into it. You know what I mean? You can't promote it to them, right? So it's that I'm going with you. So this is what I did. That's when I share my experience. And I tell them, I said, one, the benefit of, of seeing a therapist or going to seek mental health is that you have a diagnosis that means you're ahead of the game. You know what I mean? There's some things, but here's the other part to it. Just because they say it's long term or whatever, whatever. Now I have to do the work to get made. Because ultimately, we want to maintain our wellness. And how do I do that? Just like you do yoga, you do fitness, right? So you want to maintain your wellness. That's a part of what you do. And how do you promote that to folks? You don't push, you don't push it on people, right? You don't say you need to do this. You know what I'm saying? So somebody starts the conversation, you ease it into them. And it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Absolutely right. Um, I know you talked about some of the um, treatment options, you know, going to finding a counselor, um, you know, going into a program. What are some other treatment options for somebody that's dealing with substance abuse? Well, for the most part, you know, um, there are several. You have um, 12-step model program. You have smart recovery. But when we, I, I tell people it's the, it's the holistic approach that we have to take. That's the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, and the physical, right? So when we approach that, right, um, the options are, my role here is to ask you, what does recovery look like to you and how do you want to paint it, right? So what does your recovery, 
In other words, I'm saying to you, how, what do you want to do to maintain your wellness or get well? And then they put it on the table. So then my role would be, okay, let's, let's take these options here. So there are a lot of different ways to recover. Some do the 12-step model. Some do um, um, church. Others do mental health. People do yoga, you know, which is excellent. Some people do prayer and meditation. Some people volunteer. You know, there's several ways. Whatever is loving and caring, conducive to, to your new way of life. But here's the main part. Recovery is an act of change. Now, some people in the 12-step model, they say in your attitudes and behavior is an act of changing your attitude and behavior. That's bland. Because if I stop using, that means I'm recovering. No. But if that works for you, that works for you. But in order to get into the process of recovery, first thing first, I have to learn how to stay on this side of the fence because it's much easier to stay over here than it is to get back over here. So many people straddle the fence. That's that fence. And most of us, we want to straddle it. It's three categories. And in these three categories, it's five things each that I talk about. And it's real simple. I just talked about the five things that will impede you from reaching your goal. The high risk thinking, the irrational beliefs and thoughts, the self-sabotage, the wishful thinking, the procrastination. So when I'm in my active state, these are the five things that I'm most definitely act that on on. High risk, I'm taking major risks. I'm thinking illogical. I love the self-sabotage, which means I build it up to tear it back down. That's my motto. That's what we do. We're good at that. Then I have wishful thinking. I don't want to put into action anything. Everything I think is it's not a reality. And then we procrastinate. Now, the other five things, this next category is in the middle. These are what you call the five stages of change. It's pre-contemplation, which means just straight denial. Then it's contemplation. That means I'm thinking about change. Then it's preparation, right? I prepare myself to move forward. Then it's action. And then it's, uh, it's maintenance. So the pre-contemplation would take care of the you right there at the high-risk thinking. And then with the contemplation, you're right there with the rational belief. In order to get rid of that, I can't contemplate about moving forward, right? The preparation is going to take care of the self-sabotage, right? The action gonna take care of the wishful thinking because I just said the wishful thinking implies for us without action. Then the maintenance gonna take care of the procrastination. That's that category. So when I'm ready to move forward, when people are ready to seek treatment, these are the questions that are being asked in your assessment. What's your stage of change? What stage of change you in? What are you willing to do? Then it's, uh, the third one is the most important one in order to move forward is the five, I call them the five key recovery concepts. These are the five things that I practice regularly. And they're my key recovery concepts. First of all, I got to be hope. Got to take personal responsibility. I have to educate myself, self-advocacy, and then it's support, right? Those five things. So my hope, which means in terms of expecting the desired thing to happen, right? That's going to take care of my high-risk thinking. That's going to take care of the pre-contemplation, right? My personal responsibility means it's my duty. Nobody else's. That's going to take care of that irrational belief. That's going to take care of the contemplation. So if I can't contemplate and move forward, so it's my personal responsibility to move forward and put in the work, right? To prepare myself. 
And then the third one is education. That's going to take care of the self-side. I got to educate myself so I won't self-sabotage again. That's my pattern, right? And so if I have to educate myself, I got to make steps and I got to prepare myself to educate myself. What steps do I take? And then with the self-advocacy part is that for us, we want to have our own voice. Everybody advocates for us. So we want to find our voice. But here's the other part to that, though. That takes care of the, um, the wishful thinking, right? And it, you have to take action. But it means self-advocacy for us means that we want to advocate for ourselves effectively. We want to have effective communication when we are talking to our doctors, when we are talking to our lawyers, when I'm going to see my therapist. And they, you know, like now when you go into treatment now, they give you all kinds of medications you got Suboxone popping up. You got all these MATs popping up. Popping up. That's the um, medication-assisted treatment, right? It's it's tricky, right? But I want to advocate for myself effectively. I can't go into the doctor's office and say, I don't want to take this anymore. This don't work. But I want to do it effectively. I want to transfer this information to you so you can receive it effectively and how I feel. And the fifth and the final one is most important is what we call support. So with the support, we'll take care of the procrastination and it's going to be the maintenance and I'm going to have this. And my doctor is a part of my support. My therapist is a part of my support. My 12-step program is a part of my support. My church is a part of that support. It's a multitude of things that wraps around it. So those are the three categories right there. There it wow. is. 365 is John just really Listen, gave you all the tea. Okay, John, I, the stages of change really hit hard to me. And Britt, I don't know if it hit hard with you, um, but that's something that when I was going through my personal training certification, that was brought to my attention. So the fact that, you know, it's very, it, it's similar. And, you know, when you talk about training a client and getting somebody, you know, in the, in the realm of like wanting to work out and maintaining that, that, that just really spoke to me because it it's something that, you know, you we're, we're talking about it in substance abuse, but it can be used in so many other areas in yeah. your life. Absolutely. You know, and even in the Buddhist tradition, it's discovering that there is an issue, there is suffering and describing a plan, a strategy um, for, you know, getting out of that suffering. Um this was such a powerful conversation, John. I, you know, it sounds like and you said earlier how for so many years you were stuck in a mindset of survival. And I think so many black people are. And it's just so inspiring to hear that you found uh, a, a set of tools to help you deal with your life and help you communicate and give back to others. As a black man, I can just say I appreciate you so much for sharing this wisdom with me um, as a man in general. Um, and that really was what you just said. Everything John just said there are uh, 365ers. That's what we call what's your 365. These are actionable tools that you can do to address your life, that you can communicate with people that you love to help them. Yeah. Wow. John, um, go ahead. Jack, I think no, no, I was just going to say, I think maybe we should talk about some resources. Yeah, for people. John, um, you know, you are a, a certified peer um, recovery specialist. So, you know, I want to give you the floor really quick. If you have resources that people um, can use or people that they can reach out to, including yourself, please uh, give that information to the 365er. Yeah, if a person is struggling, man, I work for, um, it's a beautiful agent. It's called HYPE. And it stands for, and you all can relate to this, it stands for helping you pursue excellence, enlightenment, and enrichment. So that's what we do as an agency. We're a mental health 
um, agency as well as the substance abuse, right? And we started this like four years ago, uh, May 1st. Um, and they brought us on board, right? So they already had the mental health side. We have skill builders. We have, it's, it's, we have provided wraparound services. And if anybody's looking for a fresh start, we got you. You know, um, I'm not a good social media guy, but you can find us, right? Um, and we also, we provide people with specific tools because what we have to have is social skills and coping skills. We know how to survive, but we don't know how to cope to avoid this stuff, right, man? So it's very important. And also, you know, Project Give Back to Community is big or part of that team, right? And um, also what we do, we have this thing called clean dreams because we want our children to have clean dreams. And um, I don't have a social media. My man, we have a social media, please clean dreams, Project Give Back Community and Hype Counseling Services. No, but that was great. I mean, that's exactly what, you know, our 365ers are looking for. Um, you don't always have to have a social media. Sometimes it's like you said, just just having a platform and a place for people to come to. So, John, thank you so much for your transparency. Thank you so much for your wisdom, the gems, the jewels that you dropped today. Another very powerful conversation about substance abuse and how it's impacting the black community and things that we can do right now to take our community back. Um, 365ers, make sure you follow us right now on Instagram, all social media at bh. 365 podcast. Remember, um, you know, if you have any questions, anything that you want to want us to address, hit us up in our DMs. Let us know. OK, because we're here, like I said, to take our community back. We can't do it alone. We have to do it as a community. So if there's something that you want us to address, a topic that you want us to cover um, when it comes to our health and our overall wellness, let us know. Uh, BH365 podcast is where you can find us. Again, I am Jackie Page. My name is Britt Daniels. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Black Health 365 podcast. Peace and I'm going to stay in love. Black Health 365 is an Urban One and Reach Media production hosted by Jackie Page and Britt Daniels, created by Samuel Tatum and Laura Lopez, executive produced by Brittany Jackson and Kadisha Campbell, editing and production, Jahi Whitehead, sales and corporate sponsorship, Patty Johnson.